We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We're going to be in the Psalms for this month, which excites me. All right, I want to start off by actually going through, and I'm going to read this psalm in its entirety for us. And as I do, I want you to take note of how this psalm does, in fact, crescendo and how it goes out. It starts off with David speaking to himself, um, speaking to his own heart, to his own soul, and then it expands. And he takes this same plea to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord, and he expands it. And he starts to include other people. He starts to include all of Israel and all of creation. We'll see that transition as we read along. But let's start by reading this passage together. Psalm 103, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not of his, forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are, opposed, are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of our Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all, your, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What a beautiful psalm. And while we could wrap up and pray and call it a day, uh, let's dig in and, and see if we can tear that apart a little bit and see what kind of application we can make to our own lives and how we ourselves might be able to join David in his praise and his call to, to bless the Lord. Let's start with verse 1. These first five verses, we see David and his call for personal praise. He is, in fact, speaking to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. So he is speaking to his soul. He is talking to himself. David is, is preaching at himself. I have no doubt that you guys have heard that term before, that you need to preach to yourself, especially the, the gospel. We are, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Uh, David found this necessary, and indeed it's a 
necessity for, for all of us to preach to ourselves. Because one hour a week coming to church and having somebody preach at you, that's not at all sufficient. Uh, first of all, I don't know your heart like you know your heart. Uh, I'm not able to, to speak to you on an individual basis. I'm not able to uh, give you the same kind of application that you're able to take and apply to yourself. And while I greatly enjoy and benefit from sitting under the, the preaching of Jeremy and, and other preachers throughout the week, uh, no amount of, of preaching, no matter how many preachers or, or sermons you listen to throughout the week, that's never going to uh, overcome your own ability to, to preach to yourself. It can't replace personal study. It can't replace self-reflection or, or prayer or application because we know our hearts better than other people, right? We are able to, to take what we learn from, from Scripture. And really, I need to, to reiterate the truth that I find in Scripture, which means that, first of all, I need to be in, in Scripture. I need to be in the Word of God. And I need to take that truth and apply it to myself and dwell upon his goodness and, and meditate on his revealed will and contemplate what his revealed will and his word means to me and how I can take and apply that to whatever circumstance or situation I find myself in. We as individuals, we are uniquely uh, able to do that in a way that uh, is unable to be done from the pulpit. Uh, we're not always um, able to again, speak individually to, to each person as we're able to do that on, a, on an individual basis. And hopefully while you find the, the teaching here somewhat applicable to your life, uh, we need to master the art of applying the text to our own lives and letting the Holy Spirit work within us and draw conclusions about what he says to us in his word and to make that practical and applicable to our own lives. And this preaching that we ought to be doing to ourselves throughout the week, preaching to ourselves, just as David did, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. Uh, it's not always going to be as positive as David's preaching is here. Just as teaching from, from this pulpit or any pulpit should be, it shouldn't always be positive teaching, but it should be based upon the truth, the truth of God's word, which um, isn't simply motivational speaking or uh, this self-talk psychobabble that is growing in popularity throughout our world to, to lift yourself up and, and preach to yourself that you are, you are good enough, you are sufficient. Uh, there are times when our self-preaching is going to be positive, but it's not always going to be that way. It needs to be based on the truth of God's word. We see that this preaching of, of David's, uh, to bless the Lord, oh my soul, he specifies he says all that is within me so david is calling for absolute praise from himself unreserved all-encompassing praise he says all that is within me the niv says all of my inmost being so he is not wanting uh, partial praise he is not calling for uh, some praise and, and some reservation uh, but in fact, we are told all throughout Scripture that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, right? All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And I think that this is what David has in mind, that he's not to love the Lord as, as we have a, a tendency to do sometimes where we have the, the propensity to fall into this pit, to love the Lord with our mind only, especially in a, a church that loves and focuses on the teaching of God's Word. Um, 
to, to simply know things about God, but to neglect to love him with our heart. That's not what we're called to do. We're to love the Lord with our, our whole being, with all of our being, of all of who we are. In the same respect, we can fall into the, the pit on the other side of the road to just have an emotional response to God, which is incredibly easy when we realize how great this God is, how loving and kind and uh, compassionate he is to have this emotional draw to, to the Lord. But if we love him with our heart only to the negation of loving him with our mind to realize who it is that we're speaking to, who it is that we are loving, uh, we are, again, falling into a pit on the other side of the road. We need to love and, and worship him in spirit and in truth, uh, to love the Lord with all of our being, not just emotionally, not just mentally, and not just uh, sort of playing the part, not at a, a surface level. Um, I know that, that I can be guilty of this, of not truly being engaged in the worship of God. Most of the time, maybe 98% of the time, I am so excited to, to come here and to worship alongside of you guys, to come to this church building with this church body and to, to sing praises to God. But every now and then, I'm not um, super, I'm, I'm not jumping at the opportunity, I'll say. Um, I'm not exactly pumped to, to get up and come here and praise God that when I do, I always leave encouraged and I always leave blessed. But there are those times where um, there's a, a bit of reservation within my, my heart to my own uh, shame. I, I don't always have that within my heart to love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. And uh, you know that um, just as well as I do that we're not called to to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, to worship Him simply when we walk through the doors of this building. No, we're called to, to bless the Lord all the time, right? Um, on, on Monday morning, just as much as we do on, on Sunday morning. And if it's not always easy for us on Sunday morning to bless the Lord, I would suggest that it's perhaps even more difficult on Monday morning when we have to get up and go to work or go back to school or you know, deal with the, the burdens of this life that we live in. Uh, we are called to, to worship God with all of our being, without reservation, uh, at all times, even when it's, it's not easy. Not being self-absorbed, caught up in my own life, caught up in my own world, uh, distracted by the, the temptations of this world, uh, which is only natural for us, right? That's our, our natural state. Uh, it's not one of, of worship and adoration. We don't just by, by nature call out to God and bless the Lord, but we get caught up in uh, work and, and finances and projects and investments and sex and politics and uh, all different kinds of things, projects we got going on or vacations or what are we going to have for lunch? What time? How long do we have until lunch? You know, it's so easy for us to get caught up in uh, things that are distractions to us. Again, it's not natural for us to want to worship the Lord. We have all different kinds of distractions that are vying for our attention that we have to constantly fight against. And that's, that's understandable because we're not a bunch of monks living off in some monastery, right? We are in this world, but not of this world. And so we have these things that are, are often good things that are things that are going to vie for our attention but we need to realize that we are called as Christians, as believers in Christ, to bless the Lord with all of our soul uh, on the good days as well as the bad, right? We don't just thank him for, um, for his, his blessings, for his benefits as the psalmist is going to go on and 
explain them, but we should have an attitude of praise every day. It is easier to do so on the good days, but it's even more necessary to do so on the bad days. Our circumstances in no way should uh, negate our understanding of God's goodness. God is good even when we're having a bad day, even when we're having a, a rough time. And our circumstances should definitely not diminish our praise of him and our acknowledgement that he is good and that we should uh, nonetheless bless the Lord. You remember Job, good old Job, who didn't have a, a lot of good days from the, the account that we have in our word, in God's word that he's given to us. Um, Job was told by his wife, well, just, just curse God and die. It's okay, go ahead. Uh, and he said, you speak like a foolish woman. Uh, so we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity. And we're told that in all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. That he realized that God is worthy of praise even on the bad days, even with all the, the garbage that he was going through and the hardness that he was having. We need to, uh, we need to love the Lord with, with all that we have. Living for Jesus, uh, my heart shall be thy throne. Right? We just sang that a moment ago, that we need to love him with all of our being. In verse 2, Psalm 103, David says, To bless the Lord, O my soul, and to forget not his benefits. To, to remember his benefits. We just got going, done going through, through Joshua and seeing these memorials time and time again, how God has um, told his people or directed his people to raise up these memorials so that they wouldn't forget what God did there and how he blessed them there so that they could remember. And yet, uh, they forgot, didn't they? Eventually, they, they fell into that, that trap and they forgot what God had done for them. And uh, you and I, we were, we're right there with them. We are so apt to forget the ways in which God has blessed us, the ways in which he has uh, shown his, his mercy on us and to dismiss his goodness out of hand or even to come to expect him to, to bless us in a way that we deem uh, necessary. And if we're not blessed in a way that, that we think is right, then uh, we can even hold on to those, those negative things and grasp onto those. We can bypass a, a dozen ways in which God has blessed us in, in one morning and stub our toe and, and focus on that one negative thing and uh, curse God within our hearts. And we need to uh, repent of that. We need to bless the Lord for all of his benefits. Uh, he has benefited us in more ways than we could even imagine. Not just those of us who are in Christ. He has definitely blessed those of us who are in Christ, but he has shown a, a common grace to, to all of his, to all people, even if they're not his people, even if they're not his children. God has given us uh, so many blessings, so many benefits for us to even wake up and to, to draw breath in the morning is a blessing from the Lord that he has allowed us to have blood that is flowing and, and pumping through our bodies. This is a blessing from God that we have eyes that can, can see and perceive and um, really take in the beauty that he has blessed us with, that we have ears that can hear and uh, pick up on the, the beauty of music and uh, singing birds and falling rain, that we have shoes on our feet. Uh, what a blessing, a benefit that we often overlook, that we have stores that we can go to to buy our shoes. We have cars that we can drive in to get to the stores and roads that we can drive our cars on and uh, traffic lights to, to maintain order all these little things that we just overlook that are benefits from the Lord, we need to realize that these are uh, benefits that God has given us. He has given us the, the intellectual mind to be able to even uh, 
pick holes and, and see the gaps in my examples, my illustrations, uh, recognizing, well, there are blind people, right? Or what about that time that my car doesn't start? start? Um, God has given us even the mind to critique his blessings and the ways in which he has benefited us. Uh, he's given us families and, and freedom. This very time that you and I live in is unparalleled uh, in, in history. We live in a, a time, again, where we have cars, we have emails, we have uh, a life expectancy that far surpasses any of those that have gone before us. A, a, a childbirth infant mortality rate that is lower than any time before us. We have so many benefits from the Lord uh, that go even beyond what David had in mind when he was saying to himself, when he was preaching this to his own soul to bless the Lord for all of his benefits. He is reminding himself uh, to, to take inventory of what God has done in his life and to look at his life and just step back and to realize uh, I have all these things that I can, I can bless God for. Uh, he's going to give us a, a list of how God has blessed him. This is a, a healthy practice for you and I to engage in, to, uh, to not forget to remember and to take inventory of how God has uh, blessed us, to stop and to, to think and to do this often about how we are blessed, especially those of us who are in him. Again, with the, not just a common grace, but a special grace. We have a, a knowledge of him, that we have somebody who took the time to uh, tell us about the truth of the gospel, that we have uh, access to his word like people before haven't had. We have so much light and exposure to the truth of God's word. Not just his words themselves, but uh, different study helps and, and commentaries and uh, dictionaries and brilliant people who have gone before us. We are so blessed in a, an unparalleled way in this day and age, uh, especially as Christians. We need to stop and uh, take inventory of that to, to praise God for that. Uh, let's look at this, this list that David writes out for us. Starting in, in verse 3, he mentions several things, that, uh, ways in which God has benefited him and for which he must bless the Lord. He says in verse 3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits, who pardons all of your iniquities. Of course, that's at the, the top of his list. Uh, who heals all of your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Uh, David realized, and, and rightly so, that his salvation must be at the top of that list. Uh, within this is an uh, inherent acknowledgement of uh, our, our greatest need, of the gravity of our sin, how, how weighty and important um, our, our sin is, and the need that we have for a Savior, the need that we have for salvation. Uh, David places this at the, the top of his list. It was Martin Luther who said that we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day, uh, which, again, is inexcusable as Christians, but I think it's true that we have a, a tendency to just forget the gospel, and therefore we need to hear it every day, um, which means that we need to be preaching it to ourselves every day. He mentioned in, in verse 3 his... Uh, blessing God's benefits of health and infirmities. Verse 4, his rescuing from, from enemies, from danger. And he realizes that all these things, even the, the smallest of details, they come from God. He is giving thanks to God because God is the one who has given these things to him. It's, it blows my mind how we live in a, a culture and a society who can celebrate Thanksgiving 
and not realize who it is that they're giving thanks to or what it is that they're giving thanks for. Uh, we like to watch uh, survival shows in our house, and it's just, it's stupid, really, that people will thank the animals that they gave their life so that they could survive, or they'll thank the, the region or the land. Thank you, land, or spirits for this animal. Uh, that is, that's blasphemous. Every good and perfect gift comes from God who is above. And it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And David realizes this. And that's why he's able to thank him for all these ways in which he's benefited him. Uh, because he realizes that uh, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That there's not a single sparrow who's going to fall to the ground and, and die without the father knowing it and realizing it. That even the, the lot that is cast into the lap, it's every decision comes from the Lord. Everything that happens to us is from the Lord, not because uh, some animal decides to, to give up his life. Uh, that's not how life works, right? And David realized that. And in verses four and five, he kind of summarizes it. He says, thank you, Lord, uh, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Uh, that word for loving kindness, that's our, our favorite Old Testament word, hesed, uh, which is kind of the Old Testament equivalent for, for grace, uh, for something that's undeserved. This is a, a personal word of God's love and his favor, uh, a love that will not let you go. And he thanks God for that love, that uh, non-relenting, I'm going to hold on to you type of love. Um, he realizes that uh, every good gift comes from God who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. And to me, um, that, that should perk up your ears. Whenever somebody stands behind a pulpit and they say to me, and they start off a, a sentence with, to me, that should be a little bit scary. But uh, to me, the most amazing and convicting aspect about the Psalms is the fact that we don't see uh, the, well, that these predate the incarnation of Jesus that this is before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, these psalmists are able to sing and to praise God from that perspective. And yet, you and I were able to look back on the cross and uh, how much more, again, I say convicting, because we should be able to praise God and to bless his name so much more, having experienced Jesus in a way that uh, they couldn't even imagine. And we see um, going forward that David isn't satisfied with relegating this praise to himself. He was preaching to himself, starting with his own soul, saying, you need to bless the Lord, and this is why. But he's not going to stop there. He expands this call to, to bless the Lord. And uh, he calls for a, a communal praise of the Lord, for a, a corporate praise of the Lord, starting in verse 6. And really the bulk of this uh, psalm is devoted to this communal praise of the Lord. He says in verse 6, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Now, we definitely shouldn't understand David to be some kind of a, a universalist, to be a, a health, wealth, and happiness type preacher who's just preaching uh, a name it, claim it type gospel. He's not preaching to everybody, but he clarifies in, in verse 7 that he's preaching to, uh, to Israel. He says that he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel, in verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And uh, we do uh, want to, to acknowledge that there is a, a distinction, a, a separation between Israel and the church. Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. 
Um, we do, however, recognize that Israel and the church are both a, a people, a, a plural people of the Lord. And we do see a number, number of parallels between Israel and church. And specifically in this passage, we see a, a proper response to God's holy nature is to call out to him in praise. It is uh, to realize the abundant blessing that he's given to us and um, that we should respond to him, not just in, in personal praise, but in corporate praise as well. And this verse here in, in verse 8, it says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in, uh, in loving kindness. This is pretty much a, a direct quote from, uh, from Deuteronomy 34, 6, uh, from Exodus 34, 6, which says that um, this is where God comes face to face, so to speak, with, with Moses. Moses kind of gets a a backwards reflected glance of the glory of God. And this is how God refers to himself. Using his own words, he says, I am a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. This is God's expression of himself. And David here is just flipping it around saying, yes, you are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger. And I want to, to read what, um, what Joseph just put up on the screen for us in, in Deuteronomy 8. And this is... Uh, a reminder of our temptation to trust in ourselves, but also of God and how he provides for us out of his love. So Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 11, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Again, remember, don't forget. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, there we see the benefits and the blessing of God, and have built good houses and lived in them, more blessing, more benefits. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart, your sinful, wicked heart, will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Again, that's our, our propensity as, as human beings. We forget how God has blessed us. Uh, starting in verse 15 again. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he led you. He fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, again, speaking to the human nature, you may say in your heart, my power and strength and my hand have made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Israel forgot, right? Uh, we forget because we are fallen, sinful human beings. But yet we need to realize that it is God who provides for us and he does so out of his love for us. It is undeserved and yet he uh, he loves us. We need to remember and we need to respond in thanksgiving and in praise. And we see back in Psalm 103 and in verse 9, after uh, this call to remember the Lord and, and his benefits in communal praise, it says in verse 9 that he will not always strive with us, with Israel, nor will he keep his anger forever. Uh, this is about as negative as this psalm gets. Just realizing and acknowledging that God does strive with them. 
But even in this acknowledgement, uh, there's a, an innate understanding that, uh, an acknowledgement of the fall and an understanding of our sinful disposition, that we are by nature children of God. It's, there's an innate understanding of our need. And then it takes and it focuses more positively on the fact that God will not always strive um, either with, with Israel or with the church, that uh, there is peace to be made, there is peace to be had through God because he is a God who keeps his promises. He is a God who is long-suffering. Uh, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but instead he is patient towards all, wishing that uh, we would not perish but come to a knowledge of him, that we would come to repentance. And I don't know if it can get much better than than what we read in verse 10 as David says that he has not dealt with us according to our sins that is a a beautiful verse a beautiful thought uh, realizing that our sins are uh, correctly credited to our account they they are ours right we have to own them but he says that God has not dealt with us in accordance with those sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities we have to just sit back and say amen at that. That is a beautiful verse, a beautiful thought. Uh, and it's a, a thought that is expressed elsewhere throughout the Psalms. Let's look at Psalm 130, starting in verse 3. We see the same concept. And the psalmist here says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. God has forgiven us. And the result should be that we should fear him. That is beauty, uh, that our sins are not held against us. What about Psalm 32, verse 1? Psalm 32, 1 says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There's no greater blessing than to have your transgression forgiven, your sin covered. And uh, Paul actually quotes this verse in the New Testament. And I want to share that with you. That's in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He says, now to the one who works, his wage is credited as, is not credited as a favor, but as what is due, right? When we go to work and we perform a job, we expect a paycheck. But he says in verse five, but to the one who does not work, speaking of our work for salvation, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to us as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now here he's quoting from that verse we just read back in Psalm 32. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Then he says, Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And then he goes on for the next several verses and he talks about how it is to the Gentiles also. It's not just for the Jew, it's for the Jew first, but also to the Gentile that this blessing of having our sins forgiven, of having our transgressions and our iniquities not counted against us is made available not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile also. And he says in verse 25 of that same chapter that he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised up because of our justification that this is a blessing that is available not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be made right with God. And we have to sit back and we have to just ask ourselves, why? Why would God forgive such a, a wicked, sinful person as myself? Why would he forgive these transgressions 
uh, these slants and uh, ways of distorted living against a holy and righteous God. And uh, the only answer that we can give to, to this great question of, of why and uh, why, how is this deserved is that it's not deserved, but it is because of his love. And this last week in, in just contemplating and thinking about this text and the immensity of the love of our God and the vastness of his love, uh, I found myself, as I was thinking on these things, coming across uh, just silly, pithy, worldly, uh, silly love songs or uh, movies and kind of picking up on the, the phrases that we as fallen creatures try to use to express our, our love in uh, hyperbolic ways of articulating our love for one another. Uh, I'm sure that you guys can think of similar cheesy love songs or, or whatnot. Um, some ones that you might be familiar with is this saying that my love for you is as deep as the ocean. Uh, it's, it's cute, right? Uh, <laughs> my boys are, are totally against that, um, that kind of thinking at this point. Give it a few years. Uh, or that great uh, old song, there ain't no mountain high, no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby, right? Uh, or I would walk 500 miles, another 500 miles. Um, think about how many people have uttered the phrase, oh, I would, I would die for you. Um, probably often with less than honorable intentions, but um, that's a, a common phrase in our society, right? Or I love you 3,000, or I love you to the moon and back. Um, these are our attempts to try to express our love to one another uh, as, as silly as they might be. But listen to how God describes his love. We have two illustrations of his infinite love for us. In verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. That's a, an incredible thought. Even for, for David, who just looked up into the sky and he must have thought, well, that's, that's pretty high, right? Uh, that's, that's taller than Goliath. That's taller than the mountain over there. But you and I, we are, again, uniquely positioned to be able to understand this verse in a, a completely different way because, I don't know if you know this, but if you travel at, at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, we can go around our, our world, our globe, in one second, seven and a half times. That's a trip. Uh, seven and a half times in one second. If we travel at that same speed to go from one end of the known universe to the other end of the known universe, we'd be traveling for 93 billion years. 93 billion years at 186,000 miles a second. And God says, my love for you is, is higher than the, the heavens are above the earth. I don't know what better way to, to explain, to describe an infinite amount of love than that. And he says in the, the next verse, in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, again, if we just imagine that we were on the North Pole uh, wearing our, our warmest coats and we were traveling as far south as we could possibly travel, if we went from the North Pole all the way down to the South Pole, we would have traveled 12,430 miles. And then at that point, we would start to travel north again, right? Um, now you know I'm not a, a flat earther. So you, you travel around and you start going north again. But if you travel east, uh, at no point are you going to be traveling west again. Or if you travel west, at no point are you going to be traveling east. You just go around and around. If you have one straight line going off two 
opposite direction. Those lines are never going to intersect. They're never going to meet. It's a, a display of an infinite amount of love for God. And lest we think that he is uh, unknowable and uh, just uh, unfathomable, that he's too far off and abstract, he gives a, a third example to, to prove how relational he is and yet to explain his love that he has for us. In verse 13, it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We have three illustrations, three examples to show this compassionate, loving, gracious uh, God that we have who shows pity on us, who has mercy for us, who recognizes our need and uh, has this, this great degree of love for us. And while it's true that um, to, to speak about God and to say that uh, he is driven or controlled by his emotions in the same way that we are would be wrong. He's not driven by his emotions. Uh, but on the other hand, to say that God has no emotions would be to ignore the, the truth of Scripture, to ignore the, the beauty of texts like this that point out that he is compassionate, he is loving, he is caring, he is long-suffering. Uh, we have to realize that our God loves us, that he cares for us. And uh, it's not for for everybody that he cares, but there are identifying marks of those who are called his, of those who are recipients of this kind of love. And again, I can see how many might be able to look at this passage and say, well, David is just a, a prosperity preacher, right? He's preaching to everybody. Um, that's not David to say that everything's going to be good all the time. David went through many hardships. He fled from, from Saul. He fled from his own son, Absalom. And uh, his own son took his, his concubines and embarrassed his father. And uh, David lost his, his son out of sin. He uh, was betrayed by his military leaders. He lost 70,000 men because of another sin. David knew what it was to, to struggle. His life was absolutely no cakewalk. Uh, but David is also able to speak from a place of blessing. Uh, though his life wasn't perfect, he found favor with God. And he was um, able to have this renewed outlook on life because he had regenerated eyes. He had uh, God working within him, giving him the ability to see these things. And we see three times in this passage, this phrase, those who fear him. The fear of the Lord is indeed the beginning of knowledge. We have to fear the Lord, and uh, that's an identifying mark of his people. In verse 11, it says that uh, God shows his great loving kindness towards those who fear him. 13 says that the Lord has compassion, not on everybody, but on those who fear him. And then in verse 17, it says that uh, the loving kindness of the Lord is for those who fear him. And we see even going farther in verse 18, it's for those who, who keep his covenant. This is an identifying factor of those who belong to the Lord. This is the only true response, the only correct response for those who truly fear him is to obey him and to keep his covenant. And if we acknowledge him as, as truly holy and transcendent, then we must fear him, especially if we are taking into account our, our own nature, who we are in, in light of who he is as the all-knowing, all-loving, transcendent God of the universe. Uh, if we realize the, the brevity of man, we are truly... Uh, drawn to, to fear him and to worship. And we see that highlighted for us in uh, verses eight, 14 through 18. Uh, the David, the psalmist, he talks about how uh, we are but dust, how our days are like grass, as a flower of the field. 
fades, uh, so does, does mankind, that when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. Um, it's to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them that we just see the, the brevity of man. We are just mist, right? We're just a vapor, just dust, just flowers and grass that are here today and tomorrow are gone. And if we realize uh, our, our human frailty and, and how that is contrasted with God's divine faithfulness. Again, that just draws us even more to bless his name, to praise his name. If we see our, our mortal lowliness and how it's contrasted with his immortal love, we are drawn to, to lift up his name, to praise his name, to bless his name. Herbert Leopold said uh, that the, the contrast is just this. Just as frail as man on his part is, so exceedingly great in compassion with this frail being is the Lord on his part. The one is very frail. The other is so amazingly great. We see God's greatness contrasted with the, the human frailty of our, our own sin, and we are just drawn and led to worship. And rather than being led to despair by the, the frailty of our human bodies, we need to um, allow our weakness to drive us to worship his, his greatness. And again, we see a, a shift towards the end of this psalm. Uh, David first preached to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. He expanded that out and said, all of Israel, you guys know what it is to be blessed by God. You know all of his benefits. Uh, turn around and bless the Lord for those. And now he's saying, our God is so big. He is so deserving of praise that we can't just limit it to, to one nation, to one group. But all of creation, all of the universe is to praise God. He is worthy of universal praise. David uh, here, after declaring that the Lord is, is worthy of universal praise, he has already in this passage declared that he is worthy of praise because of his great benefits, because of the fact that he pardons iniquity, because of his compassion, because of his righteousness, because he is forgiving, because he is eternal, because he is loving. And now he appeals to the sovereignty of God. He says, because God is who he is, because he is high above the heavens, because he is the only God, uh, he is worthy of our praise. Not only is he worthy, but he alone is worthy of our praise, and we need to bless him. He is unique in his position over all creation, and therefore all of creation has the, the responsibility to respond to him in blessing and in praise. He points out the, the angels in verse 20. He says, bless the Lord you his angels, who, by the way, later on in that verse, are identified as his holy angels because of their obedience to him. That's an identifying factor in their relationship to God, just as it is in ours. In verse 21, he calls out to all the hosts, who I think we shouldn't understand as another reference to the angels, but as we read earlier in Psalm 148, as a reference to the sun and the moon and the stars that they are to cry out to God and to bless the Lord. And then he expands that even farther in verse 22. He says, Bless the Lord, all you works of his hands, in all places of his dominion. Every work of his hand, every created thing, in every place must praise God because he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of all praise and all honor and all worship. And David realizes that and he's calling for everybody to bless his name. He's not relegating it to himself. He's not relegating it to Israel. God Yahweh is worthy of absolutely all praise. And David, again, he, he did know the blessing of God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who knew salvation. He was able to thank the Lord for, uh, 
for taking these iniquities away from him. And that was truly good news for David. But even so, you and I, we have so much more light than David did. So much more exposure to the truth than David did. And being on this side of the cross, we're able to look at all of the, the mysteries of God that were concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. These truths that this blessing is not just relegated to, to Israel, but it, the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, that you and I, we can have salvation in the Lord. The, the truth of the church that has been revealed in the Old Testament, the New Testament is revealed. Um, it was concealed in the Old Testament. New Testament revealed that uh, God has a, a people that he has called his own, that he has bought for himself with his precious blood, that we are his church, we are his bride, and we have been united to the one Lord by one faith and one baptism, that we are in Christ. And as such, we have the Holy Spirit who is indwelling in us, never to leave again. That's something that David didn't know. That's something that David wasn't able to bless the Lord for. But you and I, we were able and I would even say required to, to bless the Lord for, to praise his name for uh, the way in which he has blessed us. You and I today in 2022, as largely Gentile people, we're able to bless the same God who is in Psalm 103. But in fact, that God who... Uh, established the throne in the heavens, has taken, he has established his throne in our hearts, again, indwelling us. Uh, how much more ought we to praise the Lord and bless his name, even then, than David did? Because he has taken us and, and formed us out of the dust, uh, and he has taken and reserved us for glory in the heavenly places. He has given us new life in his Son, and he has imputed all of his blessed righteousness to us, and now it has pleased him for, for whatever reason, simply for his love to call us children of God. You and I are required. We are uh, demanded by the very nature of our being that we are dust and God has, has taken and he has redeemed us. We are commanded to bless his name, to praise the Lord. Uh, our response must be one of total praise and total thanksgiving, not forgetting the ways in which he is has blessed us, not forgetting his, uh, his great uh, blessings that he has, has given us, but to instead uh, thank him for that, to praise him for that, and to realize the, um, the benefits that we have in Christ. Let us work uh, heartily to bless the Lord with all of our soul, all of our being, as we uh, wear his name in and seek to point the fallen world to him. Let's pray. God, we do want to, to bless you. We pray that we'd be able to do so with, with all of our soul. God, don't let us forget how truly blessed we are. Help us to, to live in a, a constant knowledge of who you are, of all the great things that you've done for us, that we would, uh, we would praise your name, God. Don't let the, the rocks cry out on our behalf, but help us to, to have that realization, to stand up and to boldly proclaim that our God is... King in the heavens, that your glory is uh, worthy of all praise. God, we want to honor you in everything that we think, say, and do, realizing that it's in you that we live and move and have our being, and uh, we have nothing that is from ourselves. We are not self-made men and women, but we are uh, just creatures in, in your hand. We are creatures in your debt. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for salvation. 
for all of your, your blessings. God, we love you and praise you. Amen.